We are here today for an ATS podcast through the Assembly on Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. Today we will be talking about an exciting area of research, the role of molecular imaging in the study of patients with pulmonary fibrosis. My name is Rachel Knipe. I'm an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School and a physician in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Mass General Hospital. And my name is Eric Epstein. I'm a pulmonary and critical care fellow at Boston University. I'm working with Drs. Montiti and Caravan at MGH through my research fellowship. So we're joined um, today by two experts in the field of molecular imaging, Dr. Sidney Montiti, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Physician in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Mass General Hospital, and Dr. Peter Caravan, Professor in Radiology at Harvard Medical School and the co-director for the Institute for Innovation and Imaging in the Department of Radiology at Mass General Hospital. Thank you all for joining us here today. Uh, To start off, we wanted to ask you, Peter, uh, if you could describe what molecular imaging is and what makes it different from other types of imaging. Sure, Um, and uh, thanks for inviting me to your podcast today. Um, So when we think about imaging, uh, we typically think about you know, a CT scan or an MRI, and uh, what we're looking at is anatomy often uh, or function. I think of a VQ scan. Uh, but molecular imaging takes that another uh, layer further where we're looking now at a specific molecular receptor or a biological process. So um, and an important thing to note is that with molecular imaging, this is often an additive step, so we can combine this uh, with uh, imaging of function and structure as well. Okay. Um, are there examples of molecular imaging that are commonly used in clinical practice? And what is it about these techniques that make them molecular imaging specifically? So I think the most commonly used molecular imaging technique would be looking at fluorodeoxyglucose or FDG PET uh, in the context of uh, mainly using cancer. Uh, so, FDG uh, is a, um, a derivative of glucose that's taken up by metabolically active cells that are undergoing glycolysis, uh, and it gets stuck uh, in the um, TCA cycle and trapped inside the cell. And so, it turns out that this is a good marker of, uh, of cells that are undergoing glycolytic metabolism, uh, which many cancers undergo, and so it's used for cancer staging. Uh, also occurs in in inflammatory cells, so it can be used as a marker of inflammation as well. So that's a specific probe that's giving you a readout on a type of metabolism. Um, There are other types of probes. Uh, Oncology is really the area that's uh, at the fore of molecular imaging, I would say. Uh, So another uh, tracer that's being used quite commonly in in the context of prostate cancer is uh, probes that are targeting the prostate-specific membrane antigen or PSMA, uh, and those are used for staging uh, and looking at recurrence uh, and, more recently, uh, combining with therapy and something uh, called theranostics where um, one changes the the imaging reporter from an isotope that's good for imaging uh, to an isotope uh, that provides uh, killing power, so something that emits beta particles or alpha particles. Great. So... um Sydney, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, the key, how these key benefits of molecular imaging could be applied to the study of pulmonary fibrosis and, and how this imaging technique could be useful in the, in the field of fibrosis. Thank you, Rachel, for having us. 
One of the key advantages of molecular imaging is that you can pair the um, acquisition of molecular or functional information with underlying structural information. And how this might be helpful in pulmonary fibrosis is, one, it can help inform into to the undergoing molecular processes that might be or might have gone awry in a particular, specific patient. So, for example, um, obtaining tissue sampling from patients with pulmonary fibrosis is difficult. Some patients can undergo surgery, and for those that are able to, the risk um, of developing acute exacerbations is not insignificant. And one can use molecular imaging with targeted probes to be able to see what the molecular expression is and where it's expressed in the lung. And this might can inform into new pathobiologic mechanisms not yet um, uh, not yet had been available. So, for example, we did some initial imaging using an albumin-binding molecular probe, um, a term gadophosphosis, also known as ABLEVAR. And there has been evidence um, going back for many years now that uh, there is increased vascular permeability in patients with pulmonary fibrosis, but really trying to quantify where this is occurring is quite difficult, if not impossible. So we performed gadophosphate-enhanced lung MRI with this albumin-binding contrast probe, and we were able to see um, that the lungs of patients with pulmonary fibrosis uh, had diffuse increase in signal consistent with um, increased albumin extravasation. And this is just an example of how a molecular probe can provide um, potentially important um, uh, information as to ongoing processes that might be awry, and then you compare the molecular information with uh, CT or other forms of, um, of uh, anatomic information to really try to determine what processes are awry and in what location. And then thinking about how this would be incorporated into clinical practice, one would be thinking about diagnosis, CT scan, it's excellent for diagnosing interstitial lung disease, but what it can't diagnose is active disease or new collagen deposition, unless the CT scan is performed serial over time, at which point you're able to appreciate changes. And one can conceivably think of using molecular probes, say one that perhaps um, targets collagen, to be able to determine where active disease is ongoing. And so that gives you more information in terms of who has active disease or not. And you can think about, in terms of taking care of patients with pulmonary fibrosis, it's extremely difficult to predict what course a patient might take, even though, let's say for IPF, the, the median time um, uh, to death from diagnosis might be just four, short of four years. We all know that patients develop very individual disease courses, which are very hard to predict. So you can see how we can take this information and we can try to pair it with clinical information to get more accurate prognostication. And thinking a little bit bigger, we, we all know that we're in need for um, better therapies that reduce array decline in pulmonary function and ultimately, hopefully, either stop or reverse disease. So you can see if you have molecular probes that, let's say, uh, recognize alpha-B-beta-6, if you have the alpha-B-beta-6 targeting probe, you might can uh, image patients and see who has upregulated alpha-D-beta-6, and then those patients would preferentially you try to get them on treatment. So you can think about using molecular probes in similar to way on oncology has done metabolic, um, uh, done molecular profiling in tissue in such a way that you might can enrich for a population more likely to respond to therapy. 
And then taking a, another step back, thinking about things you can do in terms of using molecular probes or molecular imaging to help um, accelerate drug development. If you had a disease activity marker, then you can use that for a cohort enrichment. Uh, you can use molecular imaging in early stage drug development, looking at target expression um, or target engagement. Does the drug engage your target of interest? And then thinking a little bit further, does the does the um, probe be, is the probe able to detect an early response to treatment? And if so, you can perhaps see of a way that it can be used to accelerate um, drug development and ultimately help to improve um, the treatment and ultimately survival of patients with this disease. Yeah, I, I think uh, in drug development, there, there are real opportunities here, especially uh, in pulmonary fibrosis, which is had a long and uh, rocky road to uh, uh, delivering new therapies. And often when trials fail for efficacy reasons, it's not clear as to the reason for the failure. Uh, molecular imaging, as Sydney mentioned, could show whether the drug is engaging with its target so that uh, we're seeing that, that the biology is occurring as we expect, but maybe that biology is not giving uh, the desired clinical outcome. Or we could find out that that the drug is actually not getting reaching its target, or that uh, the target itself is, is only sparsely expressed uh, in a larger population, uh, indicating that uh, we would want to, to better stratify uh, in those trials. And again, as, as Sydney mentioned, uh, the clinical course is very variable. Um, so if, if one has patients that are stable over the course of a year, uh, then they would look like they're having a positive response even on placebo. So, again, better stratification is something that, uh, that molecular imaging may, may be useful in providing. Thanks. That's really great. So, it sounds like you see a potential role for molecular imaging in stratifying patients um, who may or may not be overexpressing a particular target, and that may help us design trials, as you said, that, um, that focus on patients that are more likely to respond to a particular therapy. Yeah, I think that's that's be very helpful, um, and and I think we can take some lessons from oncology. For example, if we look at um, you know tyrosine kinase inhibitors and how when it was initially uh, introduced into patients with um, lung cancer, there was no positive benefit. But if you molecularly stratify these patients, you get this dramatic response. And it very well may be that we see the same thing in pulmonary fibrosis, and it's very also likely that you need probably more than one medication that you can try to target different things. So um, if you can molecularly stratify or be able to use this to, to kind of recognize molecular endotypes, then I think you have the potential to really see the, the field advance further. And the other thing um, in terms of clinically I'd like to mention is that given the two available therapies for pulmonary fibrosis only slow decline in um, uh, forced vital capacity, it's impossible to know if these medications are working. And so you can see that perhaps if you had a, a probe that could kind of recognize a reduction in some um, end-stage fibrotic um, process, either collagen deposition or lysyl oxidase activity, you could use that as a marker of how effective your probe is and really try to do um, tailoring therapy for that particular patient and consider switching the patient to another agent or hopefully we'll have more therapies from which to choose such that a patient is not kept on a therapy in which they suffer a large number of side effects but no potential benefit. That's great. No, you've convinced me. Um, are there any downsides 
to molecular imaging or any risks for the patient or for the, um, you know, the community? I, I think for uh, molecular imaging done with, with PET, um, the risks are really minimal. So the, the chemical, the mass dose to the, to the patient is it's in micrograms, so it's really a, a very, very small amount of material. There is some radiation associated with, with the procedure. Um, one of the, the real um, drawbacks, I guess, is cost. And so I think for adoption, uh, this would need to be a test that is really going to change treatment in some way. But um, as Sydney mentioned, you know, there are multiple treatments. These are, um, these are not inexpensive treatments. Uh, and there are um, side effects associated with each. Uh, so uh, one could certainly see a role where imaging could play um, uh, a role in, in guiding uh, uh, treatment in this case. And one other potential drawback, which may not necessarily be a drawback clinically, but in terms of kind of further elucidating the molecular mechanisms, is some of these probes that have been applied to permanent fibrosis, there's a lot of ambiguity in the probe. Um, for example, there's been interest in using somatostatin receptor probes. So somatostatin receptors, um, or somatostatin receptor 2, is expressed on fibroblasts, and there's been imaging using somatostatin receptor probes, um, two of which are currently approved for um, assessment of neuroendocrine tumors. Uh, but uh, somatostatin receptors are also present on inflammatory macrophages, so if you're really trying to delineate what, what molecular processes are, are at play, there is some ambiguity in some of these targets. It, going to need to be considered, but in terms of the clinical application, in terms of the drawback, um, main, is, main drawback is going to be cost. But as Peter, Peter mentioned, when you're talking about medications that can um, be upwards of $80,000 a year, uh, the, the cost, not that it becomes less relevant, but um, it could make a significant uh, difference in terms of the overall cost in terms of treatment. But ultimately, if we think it's going to be a benefit for, for patients, then I think it's, it's important. Mm -hmm. Am I correct in saying that at this stage, the molecular imaging and fibrosis is all at a research level? I think most of the work um, has been at a research level. There have been some smaller studies applying different probes into humans. For example, there's been um, application of somatostatin receptor probes into patients with um, pulmonary fibrosis and various forms of interstitial lung disease. Uh, recently, two papers have come out looking at um, a use of alpha V beta 6 targeting PET probes into patients with pulmonary fibrosis. And Peter and I and Eric have recently completed our first in human study of um, a type 1 specific um, collagen probe that Peter has developed. Uh, this probe called, uh, is called Gallium CBP8. Um, and it is a probe that um, specifically recognizes type 1 collagen. And Peter has published that this probe um, was able to accurately stage disease in animal models of pulmonary fibrosis. And in addition, it was able to um, detect response to therapy and injured um, mice when treated with um, an alpha-V beta-6 inhibitor. And what we found when we utilize this probe in humans is in the lungs of the healthy volunteers, there's very, very minimal um, background uptake, which makes it um, uh, have potential um, applicability to fibrosis imaging. And not only that, um, in the patients, we, the healthy volunteers we um, imaged, the probe was well-tolerated and rapidly renally cleared. And when compared to patients with pulmonary fibrosis, um, uh, we saw in the lungs of those with pulmonary fibrosis that um, the probe uptake 
was significantly higher in the lungs of those with pulmonary fibrosis compared mm -hmm. to those um, uh, without known lung disease. And interestingly, we saw these areas of hot spots, um, and some of those occurred within areas of known fibrosis, but some of those occurs in areas which um, had, quote, normal lung when compared to CT. Um, and this, to us, suggests that um, this is, might be an example where you can use a molecular probe uh, that is more sensitive than CT at detecting new collagen deposition. And we're very excited about this probe because we think that this probe recognizes more freshly synthesized collagen um, than it does established. And, and the next follow-up question that you might want to ask is, why is that? And so based on um, the preclinical imaging that Peter has done and also our human imaging, there's very minimal um, uptake at all in the bones or skin, which are areas that are rich in type 1 um, collagen. And because this probe's um, affinity to binding collagen is moderate, it's going to be more apt to bind in, um, in situations with their, when, there's, when there's an abundance of collagen. And also, and that would be in, in situations of kind of fibrogenesis. And also, when collagen, based on co when collagen um, is formed and matures, uh, the collagen structure becomes tighter, so there's less area for binding. So all in all, we think that we might have um, developed a type 1 specific collagen probe that is more sensitive to freshly bound collagen as opposed to established disease, which would really be ideal given the fact that CT is so good at detecting established disease. But what we need to know is who has active collagen deposition at any one point in time. Sydney, I think that's a really good point. I know I've heard you make the point before that a lot of times the way that we can tell who's going to progress, um, which patients are going to progress, is by looking at their decline in FEC over, you know, 6 to 12 months. And obviously you're talking about coming in with a probe that would recognize disease activity, um, which we don't have any marker of currently in fibrosis. So. This, this sounds like um, it could really revolutionize the field. Yeah, we're really excited about this, and we're we're doing additional work to try to see if um, the, the extent of uptake of our probe is predictive of, of decline in forced myelocasty, and also do these areas of hotspots, do they pr predict further development of scarring on CT? And then um, we're also interested in looking using our probe as a, pre-treatment measure and a post-treatment measure to see if we are sensitive to a detecting um, a difference in um, signal uptake with treatment such that perhaps um, we maybe can assess to see if we have an early marker of treatment response. Exciting. So if we have listeners at home who are interested in learning more um, or, or have patients that are interested in enrolling in trials, um, what would be the best way for them to find out more information about these so I think certainly in terms of enrolling in trials, and there um, there are several now um, in terms of molecular imaging of the lung, but looking on uh, clinicaltrials.gov uh, to identify trials that are enrolling and enrolling maybe in an area nearby. And then in terms of uh, learning more, um, uh, Peter and I recently um, published a review in uh, journal Clinical Investigation where we um, summarize the, the data to date in terms of molecular imaging and think about, and we also discuss our thoughts in terms of the next steps to how to translate this into human disease. It should be noted that this article is not specific for pulmonary fibrosis, but thinks about 
on the application of molecular imaging to um, fibrotic diseases in general. And a lot of the molecular processes are relatively conserved across organ systems. Um, the probes have potential to be used for other types of fibrotic diseases and, and other other organs, such that the, the kind of the concepts or the things we're thinking about or discussing today, they could potentially be relevant in liver fibrosis or scleroderma, um, for example. So how will a cutting-edge molecular imaging technique, such as the ones that we're talking about today, disseminate from a specialized center into more widespread acceptance in research and in clinical applications? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so ultimately, uh, you know, we're talking today in the lung with uh, looking at molecular imaging in the lung, which is a fairly nascent area. Um, all of these studies will need to be uh, replicated in uh, prospective multi-center uh, clinical trials uh, with pre-specified endpoints. Uh, and uh, typically, the way that these things evolve is uh, there's a an industrial sponsor who takes this on. Uh, and then we'll uh, be responsible for marketing it post uh, post registration. Uh, for PET these days, uh, there's a network of radio pharmacies that are around uh, most uh, urban centers uh, where uh, you can order a dose uh, of a specific uh, molecular imaging probe, and it's uh, delivered to the clinic at a specified time. Uh, so that network already exists. Uh, especially thanks to the work being done in oncology, as I mentioned, and, there, and that network has expanded uh, to take on other pet probes over time. Uh, so going all the way to a, a new technique uh, to commercial availability with, is, is really going to be on the order of about uh, four to five years from first to human. Maybe a little faster, but in that range. Any last thoughts or comments about um, the role of molecular imaging in fibrosis? So, you know, first I'd, I'd just like to um, shout out to the um, NHLBI, the National Heart and Lung and Blood Institute, um, for funding my work early on. Uh, they had a specific call around molecular imaging of the lung, and that brought uh, investigators like myself who, who weren't previously working there uh, into this field. Uh, and uh, really helped to marry up people that were developing molecular probes, uh, like myself, with um, really um, leaders in the field of, of uh, pulmonary medicine. Uh, I was collaborating with uh, Dr. Andy Tager at the time, uh, and, and that program, which uh, uh, I think was very successful in bringing uh, several probes to uh, first-in-human studies. So very nice work also. Uh, came out of Vanderbilt and Stanford and Johns Hopkins, uh, as well as Columbia through this program. And I think in terms of uh, fibrosis, uh, I think we're really seeing now, uh, from from a uh, therapeutic development standpoint, there's tremendous activity in pharma uh, and a number of trials in uh, in IPF at the moment. Uh, and we're seeing some successes there. We're also seeing successes. Uh, I think we might have our first approval in um, in non-alcoholic steatohepatitis in the liver um, this year, and uh, and in other pathologies. And recognizing the common biology uh, across these areas, as Sydney mentioned earlier, I think there's a role for um, these types of molecular probes to be used in multiple 
uh, organ systems and diseases. So I think this is this is all very positive, and uh, and this focus right now um, I think has been a re uh, real benefit. Um, and I'd, we'd like to thank you, Rachel and Eric, for having us. And I'd like to thank um, the Francis Family Foundation, the Scleroderma Foundation, for supporting me to conduct. Uh, molecular imaging and pulmonary fibrosis over the past several years, and also a thanks to uh, the ATS for uh, bestowing upon me um, uh, a, a recent grant, which will help for, uh, fund our collagen targeted PET imaging, so we can take this further into the next stage with the goal of translating it into clinical use. So thank you for having us. Great. Thanks very much.